Um, if you guys want to go ahead and be flipping in your Bibles over to John chapter 6, verses 20 through 59, that's where we're going to be um, for just a little bit tonight. But before we get there, um, I just want to tell a little bit of a story. Um, I want to be honest first about today. I've got to confess something to you today. Um, and then I'm going to tell another story about a similar time. Uh, so today after church, uh, Jacob Denton and I are standing around and uh, we're looking uh, around and we're like, man, we're hungry. I am starving. And I look over at Jacob, and he's like, man, I'm hungry, too. Let's go eat something. And uh, so one of our favorite places to go eat is Applebee's in Commerce. And Mrs. Judy, uh, who's not here tonight, but she can uh, testify to this because she was uh, sitting at the table right behind us when we got there. Uh, and so we went in, sat down at uh, Applebee's, and I opened up the front page of the menu there at Applebee's, and I saw some of the best news I had seen all day. They had this little round circle of some chicken strips, some ribs, and some shrimp. And it said, endless is back. And I was like, oh, it is on, right? Like they got endless shrimp, endless chicken tenders, and endless riblets. All you can eat, $15.99, it's worth it. Free advertisement for Applebee's, so I'll see like half y'all there in just a little bit. Um, but uh, I gotta be honest with you, I'm stuffed right now. Like I am full to the brim. Like I ate two plates of ribs and a plate of shrimp, which is not on my diet, but uh, it was good. So uh, that, that was that time, but uh, as I was preparing for uh, the sermon for tonight, um, I was reminded of a time last year when Justin and I, uh, we were getting done with the uh, slip and slide event. Some of y'all might remember we had a big slip and slide out front, and uh, we had uh, these big 100-foot-long uh, poly plastic tarps that ran all the way down the front hill over on this side of the driveway as you're coming into the church. And uh, whether you realize or not, that's a lot of work. I just want to tell you, that's a lot of work. That plastic is not light. Um, that plastic is very heavy. Um, and not only is it heavy, but um, it's rather expensive. And so Justin and I, trying to be good stewards of, uh, of the resources that we have, we uh, decided the next day, you know what, we want to save this plastic for next year. Uh, we don't want to just ball it up and throw it away. That'd be a waste. It's, it's perfectly fine. Let's just use it again next year. And so uh, we underwent the task of starting about 8.30, or no, about 8 that morning, uh, we uh, went out in the parking lot over here and drug those tarps out, laid them out. We took um, a hose and sprayed them down. We took a broom and swept them off, and uh, we let them dry, and then we flipped them, and we did the same thing. And, man, I tell you what, that was hard work, and all that hard work made us hungry. Um, I don't think I'd ever been so hungry in my life, honestly. Like, that, that sounds really petty, but I cannot think of another time where I've been like, man, I need to eat a lot of food right now. Um, because I was worn out and I was starving. So we went over um, to Karis Cafe in Maysville. And some of you might already realize where this is going just by me saying Karis Cafe in Maysville. Because over at the Karis Cafe in Maysville, they have this thing called the X-Burger. And uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the X-Burger, but this burger is literally no joke like this big. And it is two half-pound patties. It's got six slices of bacon, six slices of American cheese, all the veggies on it you could want. And then you get fries on the side of that. And they have this little challenge that says, if you can eat this whole burger, you get ice cream for free. As if you wanted ice cream after you got done with it, right? But, you know, when, when someone puts food in front of me and says, I bet you can't eat it, I say, I bet you I can. So uh, I took at it and I started devouring this burger like you did a horse one bite at a time. And uh, Justin and I, we uh, got about halfway through and we looked at each other and realized we'd made a huge mistake. Um, because he looked at me and said, you know, Nate, we've got to go back out and work more. And I said, oh my gosh, you're right. We hadn't finished all the work that needed to be done out here in the parking lot, but yet we've got half of this big burger sitting here and you know, my pride got too big and I continued eating. And uh, I ended up eating that whole burger, the whole plate of fries, and just to top it off, the thing of ice cream. Um, and 
I gained probably about 10 pounds that day um, in one failed swoop. But uh, I was miserable after. I was full. Like, I, don't, I, I went from having been the most hungry that I've ever been to being the most full that I ever want to be ever again. I learned my lesson there. And, and, and today, as I was sitting there eating um, Applebee's, our waitress came up, and, and Jacob can attest this. I, I was sitting there, and I was finishing up the last little plate of riblets that they got me, and they said, you want another plate? And I sat there, and I took a deep breath, and I looked down at my plate, and I smiled, and I was just sitting there. I was like, I, I, I can't, <laughs> because I remembered how full I was that one time. Well, the fact of the matter is that hunger eventually went away, or that that fullness eventually went away. Eventually, I got hungry again. Um, And the truth of the matter is that every one of us, whether we eat or whether we drink, will always get hungry or thirsty again. But Jesus in Scripture tells us in John chapter 6 that through him, we can never be hungry or thirsty again. And to someone who has no clue what that passage might mean or what that passage is saying, that might seem really intriguing uh, and really interesting. But the reality is we're all hungry for something. Every one of us in this room come into this room hungry for something. As, as Americans, most of us come into this room hungry for entertainment. We come in this room hungry for enjoyment and pleasure. We come in this room hungry for someone to tickle our ears and make us feel good about ourselves. Some of us might actually come in here physically hungry. But we all come into this room tonight hungry for something. And so here in John chapter 6, John is retelling a story of what happened when, uh, in Jesus' ministry. And the, the, a few questions you need to ask before you, uh, before you start studying any passage of Scripture is, is first, why is the author writing this? Why is this important? Who is he writing to? Why does this matter? And the good news about John is John actually reveals to us um, towards the end of the book why exactly he is writing. If you look over in John chapter 20, uh, verses 30 and 31, John says this. He says, And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written, here it is, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have, uh, and that believing you may have life in his name. So John tells us his purpose for writing, his purpose for, for retelling these miracles of Christ in the book of John is to get us to believe that he is the Son of God and that in believing that we might experience the life that Christ came to accomplish for us. And so tonight, as we look at this passage of Scripture, it's important that we keep that in the back of our mind. So what is happening in John chapter 6? What is it that's going on around this passage of Scripture that makes this passage of Scripture so unique? Well, some of you might recognize John chapter 6 as the passage of Scripture where Jesus feeds the 5,000. Jesus has just gotten done feeding the 5,000. He's asked them to come, and, and, and they're sitting there. And one of the disciples says, Jesus, it, it would take more than 200 denarii or 200 days, 200 days wages just to give them enough to have a little bit. And they find this kid who's got some bread and some loaves, and they feed the 5,000. And uh, in, in chapter 6, uh, in chapter 6, Verse 26, Jesus says to them, he says, most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me. He's talking to the people he had fed the day before. Um, He said, you seek me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Jesus tells me, he says, listen, not only did you have something to eat, you had your fill of something to eat. 
And so these people are looking for Jesus. Jesus and the disciples went across the Sea uh, of Galilee to Capernaum, which is a neighboring town of Tiberias, which is where uh, Jesus fed the 5,000. And Jesus, on his way, uh, Jesus had stayed behind, and the disciples left, and there was a storm, and Jesus was walking on the water, and he calmed the storm. Some of you might remember that passage of Scripture. And so Jesus gets over there, and, the, and all these people who were over at Tiberias said, Jesus, we saw you stay behind at Tiberias. How did, when did you get here? And they're just amazed by Jesus, but in the middle of that, they miss the signs, and that's what Jesus is talking about, that Jesus is truly the Son of God. And so tonight, I want us just to, to read one verse, just because this is a lengthy passage, and this one verse will suffice for, for our, our reading tonight. But um, I, I want us to focus on verses 22 through 59 as we look at um, th- this idea of hunger and thirst no more. So if you will stand with me to honor the reading of God's word, Luke, or I'm sorry, John chapter 6, verse 35, says, And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. God, thank you for your son that you sent to this world so that our deepest needs could be met. God, I pray tonight that as we dive into your word, as we study your word, God, that the truth of your word would transform our lives, and God, that we would live lives that honor and glorify you. Thank you for all you've done. Praise your name. Amen. So today, I want us to look at three particular things that that I just noticed as I was reading this passage of Scripture. The first thing we're going to look at is some Old Testament ideas that we see in this passage of Scripture. We're going to see some Old Testament ideas. We're going to see some New Testament truths. And then we're going to look at uh, life-changing realities that that we can draw from this passage of Scripture. But the first thing is Old Testament ideas. As we look at this passage of Scripture, Jesus was aware of his audience. Jesus was highly aware of his audience no matter where he went. He was always aware of just what to say. I think about the rich young ruler. Jesus knew what the rich young ruler was thinking, and because he knew what he was thinking, he was able to direct his conversation to the rich young ruler in a way that was relevant and, and, and real to the rich young ruler. But as you look at uh, this passage of Scripture, Jesus is aware of his audience. Jesus knows that the audience he's speaking to is highly religious. He knows that they understand that him saying that he's the bread of life to them is, a, is an allegory or a, is a picture of the Old Testament. It's a picture going back all the way to the days of Moses when God sent manna down from heaven. We're going to get to that in just a second. But the first Old Testament idea that we look at is we see that God provides. We see that God provides. Look with me at verses 30 and 31. It says this, Therefore they said to him, What sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? Our fathers ate the manna, here it is, in the desert, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So God, we see that God has provided for these people in the past, and these people recognize that God provides, and they realize not only that, but they realize that Jesus has provided. Just the day before, Jesus fed all of these people in a miraculous way. And these people are so focused on their own physical needs and their own hunger and their own thirst that they are wanting Jesus to provide again. They're treating Jesus almost like a vending machine in a way. It's kind of it's funny, but it's the truth. Jesus is, is being treated as a vending machine. They're going to him and say, hey, do it again, do it again, do it again. It's like a circus act. And the great irony is they say, they ask for a sign. They ask what work he would do. And the fact is that he'd already performed that work. He'd already performed that sign. In fact, some of them had noticed. 
If you look back earlier in chapter 6, some of the, the people notice him as the prophet like Moses. They notice Jesus as a prophet like Moses because he was providing bread for them in a miraculous way. And so some of these people are like, man, this guy's just like Moses. And so maybe this is, maybe this is that Messiah guy that we're looking for. But the thing is, they forgot that this Messiah wasn't just a prophet like Moses. He was a king like David. And so they chose to, to look at Jesus and they chose to look at God just through the lens of the fact that God provides. Let's look back at Exodus chapter 16. That's where we find this passage that, that these people allude to when it, when it looks at the manna. Exodus chapter 16. You see a really interesting um, event here happen. The Israelites have been wandering in the wilderness and uh, they're, they're getting hungry and they're complaining. And God says, you know what? I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to send manna down from heaven. You'll go out and you'll gather what you need for that day and you'll bring it back. No more, no less. And you'll do that Monday or you'll do that the first five days of the week. On the sixth day, I'm going to send down enough for two days. You'll gather enough for two days. You'll eat some of it on the sixth day and then you'll rest on the seventh day and eat on the seventh day. And it's really interesting. You look at this passage of scripture, God provides for Israel in a very real and tangible way. And in, in, in reality, God has provided through us, uh, has provided for us through Jesus. Jesus says he's the bread of life. God has provided for us through that. But not only in this passage in Exodus chapter 16 does God provide, you also see the Old Testament idea that God sustains, God keeps providing, God keeps holding on to the Israelites. He doesn't just provide for them one day, he provides for them every day of the week. And he makes sure that their needs are taken care of. So you see here in this passage some really cool Old Testament ideas, some very true Old Testament ideas that God does provide and God does sustain. And the fact is that some Christians are good enough to settle that as the, the whole of their view of God. We live in a day and age where the prosperity gospel is going everywhere and where people are saying that if, if, you, just, if you just get saved, God will provide all your needs. If, if you just get saved, you'll never get sick ever again. And, and we hear that and we're like, this does not line up at all with scripture. You look at Acts and Acts is full of Christians suffering in the will of God. You look at the Old Testament and you see Israel suffering in the will of God. And so how can we say as Christians that God's will is just to provide and to sustain for us? God has done so much more than that for us. And the reality is when we look at the Old Testament, God does provide and God does sustain Israel, but God is wanting to do something more in this passage in John. He's wanting to reveal to Israel, he's wanting to reveal to these Jews that he is the son of God. Remember, John says the reason why he's writing this is so that the people who read it might believe and might get life. And so in this passage of scripture, Jesus is, is calling to these Jews. He's saying, listen, I just fed you. Yes, great, awesome. That was a sign to you. That is not what I came to do for you. He came to do more than that. Even in the manna, the Old Testament points to a savior. If you look in Exodus chapter 16, it's really interesting. You see that, that God says that he's gonna use the manna as a test for some of the Israelites to see who is righteous and see who is unrighteous. And so in that, he's revealing to Israel that they have a need for a savior, that they have a need for Jesus, that they have a need for this coming prophet like Moses and later the, the coming king like David. And in that, uh, they realize their need for a savior and they realize the, their sinfulness and they realize that they're not perfect. 
But praise God for the New Testament, right? Because God didn't just stop at the, the Old Testament. God could have just stopped in the Old Testament, could have left us in the dark, and we could still be waiting. I, I mean, I, I cannot imagine. To be, can you guys imagine being in the Jewish shoes? Like, like, put yourself in the shoe of a Jewish person in today's world. God has been promising a Savior for thousands of years. And these are people that are just waiting and waiting and waiting for something that's already happened. As Christians, we have moved past the Old Testament into the New Testament, and in that New Testament, the, the things change, right? Jesus comes, right? That's good news for us. And we see some key truths in this passage of Scripture um, that are revealed to us about the New Testament. The, the first one of those truths is that Jesus doesn't just provide, he satisfies. Think about it. Jesus doesn't just provide, he moves past that. Jesus satisfies. Look with me, if you will, at verse 35. Verse 35 again says this. It says, And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus here is saying, listen, I'm not just going to provide for a physical need. I'm going to provide for a spiritual need. He's saying, I am the bread of life. That's a very highly religious term that the Israelites in this time would have gone, hey, he's talking about kind of like the bread of life that came down in the Old Testament, right? So the Israelites are thinking about this bread of life, but Jesus says, no, 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 I'm doing, I'm some, I'm doing something more than that. I'm doing something more than just providing for a physical need. I'm providing for a spiritual need. I'm not just providing for you, but I am satisfying you. Like I said at the beginning, every one of us are hungry for something. Every one of us come in tonight looking for something. Every one of us come in tonight uh, desiring something. And the truth is, the answer to every one of those is Jesus. Look with me, if you will, over at Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. Jesus in the Beatitudes says this. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Man, you got to think that the Jews who were, who had just been fed by Jesus, right? That, that they would think back and remember the Beatitudes and go, man, we're hungering for the wrong thing. And so many of us come to church for the wrong reasons, right? There, there's times where I, I come to church for the wrong reasons, where I come to church with an impure heart, right? Like I come to church because I have to, or I come to church, but, but every one of us in this room treat God in a way that's not in line with what scripture tells us to treat him like. See, the reality is God wants to move past just providing for your needs. God doesn't just want to entertain you, friend. He wants to save you. God doesn't just want to, 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 to make your ears feel good and make your mind feel good about yourself. God wants to change who you are so that you're good in God's sight. And so we see in this passage that Jesus satisfies, but we also see that Jesus gives life. Look with me, if you will, at verses 41 through 59. And this is a long passage, so follow along with me, if you will. It says, the Jews then complained about him. Because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, is not this Jesus the son of Joseph, whose father um, and mother we know? How often is it that he says, I have come down from heaven? 
Jesus therefore answered and said to them, do not murmur among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Therefore, anyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life, he says again. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. Verse 52 says, The Jews therefore quarreled among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him, as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father who feeds on me, and I live, and, um, I'm sorry, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead, he who eats this bread will live forever. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. So the thing we see there, the, the New Testament truth we see in that, that section of this story is we see that Jesus doesn't just provide, Jesus doesn't just sustain, Jesus doesn't just satisfy. Jesus gives life. If, if Jesus just came to this earth and performed a miracle and went back to heaven, Right? If Jesus just came down to this earth and, and performed the miracle uh, of feeding the 5,000 and then went back to heaven, we would not have salvation today. Right. We wouldn't. The Bible says that there can be no forgiveness of sins without the shedding of blood. Right. And so if Jesus just came down and did a good work and then returned back to heaven and did his own thing, we would be sitting here still waiting for the Savior promised in the Old Testament. And here you have the Jewish people, the people who the Savior was promised to, looking for the Savior. And they're sitting there looking, and they're looking, and they're looking, and they see Jesus doing these awesome things and performing these awesome signs and these awesome miracles, and they completely miss it. They completely miss that Jesus had come not just to fulfill their earthly needs. I mean, how many people in the New Testament were looking for a military ruler to come and take over Rome? That's not what Jesus came to do, right? Jesus didn't come to overthrow Rome. We know history. Rome lasted after Jesus. In fact, there was an evil emperor after Jesus had gone back to heaven that, that killed many Christians. His name was Nero. Jesus didn't get rid of Rome. And so the people that were looking for Jesus to get rid of Rome completely missed what Jesus actually came to do. Jesus didn't come just to feed the 5,000. Jesus didn't come just to defeat Rome. Jesus came to give life. 
And we see that in this passage of scripture. He says, I am the bread of life in verse 48. Your fathers ate this manna in the wilderness and are dead. This bread which comes down from heaven that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. You see, friend, Jesus came so that we could have life. And that's important. That's, that's vital to the course of human history. Because God created this world perfect, and Adam and Eve were created with a free will, and they chose other than God. They chose themselves. They chose their own pride. They chose their own desire to rule over the world and to know what is right and wrong. And so they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And in that, they cursed the rest of humanity. And in that, our relationship, our position with God was broken. Because we saw it fit as, as human beings to be considered equal with God. This is why it's so important when the Bible says that Jesus didn't see it fit to be considered equal with God, but that he came to this earth to die. And so we see that, that sin has caused this brokenness in the world. And then God immediately in Genesis chapter 3 promises that someone is going to come who is going to be the perfect Savior. You know, it's interesting, we look at the, the New Testament and we see how, how people call him the Christ. And even today, we call Jesus the Messiah and we call him Jesus Christ and we, we give him all these names. But you know what name Jesus gave himself more than anything? Son of Man. You know why that is? Because he was the fulfillment of the prophecies in Genesis. He was the fulfillment of the prophecies in Daniel. He was the fulfillment of the prophecies in Isaiah and all throughout the Old Testament that God had said, I am sending someone to you so that you may have forgiveness of sins and so that you may rule over the flesh, so that you may have eternal life. And the Israelites of the time missed it. And we see in Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2 is one of my favorite, favorite passages of scriptures. Paul writes this, he says, and you have... Uh, and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, and the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as the others." And that's the picture of the Old Testament. You see time and time again, you see Jesus give him a law, you see him break it. You see Jesus give him a, a prophecy, you see him turn away from it. And you see the brokenness of humanity all throughout the Old Testament. And then Jesus steps onto the scene. And because of Jesus, we can read verses 4 through 10 where it says, But God, who is so rich in mercy because of his great love, which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in a heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, we might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith and not of, uh, and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. 
For we are all his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Jesus came to give us life, friend. Every one of us at some point in our lives have been dead. And that sounds absolutely crazy. But if you think about it, what the Bible is saying here is it's saying that every one of us have fallen short. Romans 3.23 says that for all of us have sinned and fallen short of the, uh, the glory of God. Every one of us have. And because of that, we live in this state of spiritual death. And throughout the whole Old Testament, God promises a solution to that. And we see the fulfillment of that in Jesus. And because of Jesus and because of the, the New Testament truths that we see, not only do we see Old Testament ideas, not only do we see New Testament truths, we also see life-changing realities. The first one that we see in this passage of Scripture is that God desires to fill the God-shaped hole inside of all of us through Jesus. God realizes that every one of us are hungry for something. Every one of us turn to something at some point in our lives to try to fill that feeling of inadequacy, that feeling of something missing inside of us at some point in our life. God knows that because he created you, and so he sent his son, Jesus, to fill that God-shaped hole. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says that God has written eternity on all of our hearts. And because of that, we all think about eternity, right? You go to other places in the world that have never heard about Jesus and they have some form of religion. Why? Because they know there's something more to life than just living. They know there's something more to life than just this earth. They know there's something beyond this. And God sent his son to fill that hole in all of us. But not only that, and this is where it gets really, really awesome for the Christian. God desires to give us abundant life through Jesus. Abundant life. The, the context of that passage of Scripture in John 10, John 10, 10 says that Jesus says, I've come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. The context of that passage of Scripture is, is Jesus is declaring another I am statement. In the book of John, Jesus gives seven I am statements. And in that passage, he says, I am the shepherd. I am the good shepherd. And in that passage of Scripture, he's talking about how he protects his flock, how he loves his flock. And in the middle of that passage of Scripture, he says, I have come not like a thief, but I have come so that they might have life. And as I was thinking this week, you know, we, we think about what a shepherd does. A shepherd really, if it wasn't for a shepherd, a sheep wouldn't have life. A sheep would be dead in the water. If it wasn't for Jesus, you and I would be dead in the water. If it wasn't for, as Christians, our continuing walk with Christ, we would never progress in, in holiness. And we would never progress in our sanctification. That word abundant there, it's, it's a really interesting word. It means overflowing. So what that passage literally means is that Jesus has come to give us in life overflowing. Think about that. God wants you to have a life that is overflowing. He wants you to have a life that is full of life and vibrance and of grace and of love and of mercy and all the fruits of the Spirit. And God wants you to use you as a difference maker in your workplace. God wants to use you as a difference maker in your home. God didn't just come just to give you life. God has come so that you might have life and have it more abundantly so that the gospel might be presented to the world so that people might be saved and so that he might be glorified. 
just in, in closing, as I was studying this week, um, even before I came to settle on this particular passage of Scripture, um, I was over in Psalm chapter 42. Um, Psalm 42 is one of my favorite psalms. And, and it just reads this. It says, As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. Who can relate to that tonight? Man, you're just in a place where you have been wrecked by whatever situation you're in, and you just feel like you have been eating your tears. You're in such a bad spot right now. The writer continues. It says, while they continually say to me, where is your God? When I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me. For I used to go with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with the voice of joy and praise, with a multitude that kept a pilgrim feast. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. O my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan and from the heights of Hermon, from the hill Mazar. Deep calls unto deep at the noise of your waterfalls and your waves and billows have gone over me. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime and shall be the night, um, and in the night his song shall be with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? As a as with a breaking of my bones, my enemies reproach me. Why, uh, why they say to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him. The help of my countenance and my God. That psalm is the expression of the abundant life. That psalm is the expression of coming to the end of yourself, realizing that you don't have the power to do it, and then turning it over to God. Jesus once said, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, for I will give you rest, for my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So many of us come into this room tonight holding on to something, we come into this room with different hurts, with different struggles, with different hungers. We come into this room looking for something. Dear friend, look to Jesus because he is the bread of life. Let's pray. God, thank you for being the bread of life. God, thank you that I don't have to do it on my own. That I don't have to go through life trying to figure things out, trying to figure out how to please a God that is so holy and so righteous as you. But God, you have given us your word. You've given us your son so that we might see an example of what it looks like to live for you. 
God, tonight, I realize that there might be some people in this room who, who've never trusted you as their savior. God, they come into this room and they're downcast. They're, they're hopeless, just as that psalm was saying, God. My prayer is that tonight they would turn over to you. So tonight, dear friend, maybe you do come into this room weary and heavy laden. You come into this room holding on to everything, trying to hold it all together. The, the, the truth that Jesus is the bread of life is telling you to let go tonight. You don't have to hold it all together anymore. You can let it go and trust it with God. So dear friend, if that's you, the Bible says in Romans 10, chapter, uh, in chapter 10, verse 9, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. And so I just want to give you that opportunity right now. Maybe just say something like this from your heart to God's heart. Just say, God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I've messed up. But God, I know and I believe that you sent your son to die on a cross for me so that my sins could be forgiven and I could have life and have it more abundantly. So God, right now, I'm asking you to come into my life and to save me.